the SSRIs, the uh, you know the antidepressants, the behaviour modifying drugs. They worry me enormously because when I analysed the data some years ago on mass shootings uh, in schools in particular or elsewhere, then the common denominator was psychotropic medication, many of which have this warning on them about suicidal and violent ideation. That's what they drive people to do. So um, is it biologically plausible? Absolutely. Has it been investigated? Absolutely not. Why? Because people don't want to do it. Why? Because scientists are beholden to the pharmaceutical industry to make these drugs. Welcome to the Health Ranger Report here on Brighton.tv. Today we're joined by a very special guest, one of my favorite people of all time, Andy Wakefield. The Andy Wakefield, who is now, of course, an extraordinary filmmaker, and he, in combination with some other people that you'll hear about here, are about to put out a new film that goes live on June 10th, just right around the corner. It's going to be free to watch, and it's about infertility. And it's an extraordinary film. I've seen just a few minutes of it so far. It's talking about spontaneous abortions, loss of children, and loss of even the ability to conceive. What's behind this? Why is this happening all over the world? And what does it mean for the future of humanity if we cannot reproduce? So fertility is plunging, and there are answers for the reasons behind it. In fact, there are a lot of clues that have been left behind. We're going to dig into that with Andy Wakefield right here, so stay with us. We will return right after this break with that extraordinary interview, and we'll tell you how to watch the movie for free. Stay with us. All right, welcome back, folks. Mike Adams here, the Health Ranger, with Brighton.tv and Brighton.com for the extended interview. Uh, and we're joined now by Andy Wakefield, who has put out an extraordinary new film on infertility, uh, Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor and pleasure to speak with you. Mike, it's always a pleasure to be back. Thank you very much. Well, absolutely. Uh, we, we really enjoy all the work that you're doing. You are an extraordinary filmmaker, truth teller, very courageous person. Uh, you have been at this game, so to speak, for much longer than most people realize. I mean, way before COVID, you were telling the truth about things that only became apparent to a lot of other people in the last two years. But one of those things now that you've turned your attention to is infertility. So give us the, uh, the breakdown here. Tell us about the film, how people can watch it, and why you decided to focus on this issue for now. Certainly, Mike. Let me start by saying that it's an extraordinarily timely irony that this film comes out at a time when the World Health Organization, the WHO, is making a grab worldwide for control of global health policy. And I think that if people watch this film, they will want to seriously consider whether they, whether the World Health Organization are fit for a haircut, let alone uh, taking control of, of global pandemic policy or what goes into our bodies. And so the, the timing of the film is very interesting. The story has been around for many years. There has been this rumor that has fermented over into uh, published papers that the under the guise of a neonatal tetanus prevention program, 
The World Health Organization, the Gates Foundation and others have been conducting anti-fertility vaccine programs in what they describe as unstable developing world countries, such as uh, Kenya in East Africa. Now, this was brought to the attention of the public by the uh, Kenya Catholic Doctors Association, who originally prevented the World Health Organization from coming into Kenya to conduct one of these campaigns, saying, look, this is a scam, this is a lie. In South America and India, they have been giving women anti-fertility vaccines without their knowledge, no informed consent, but worse than that, deceiving them with the belief, telling them that this is a neonatal tetanus prevention program. In other words, something to protect babies rather than to abort babies or prevent pregnancies occurring in the first place. Now, that um, seemed to resolve in favor of the government. What happened was they brought together two groups of people, the Catholic Doctors Association and the government doctors, and they pooled samples. They put samples in for independent testing. And when they were tested, uh, some of the of the majority of the samples from the Kenya Doctors Association, the Catholic Doctors Association, that had come from the field campaign, the tetanus, the supposed tetanus vaccine campaign, proved positive. But all of the samples, 52 samples from the government stores, with the same batch number as those used in the campaign, were all negative. At that stage, the government went on the attack. They discredited the Kenya, the, the Catholic Doctors Association. They, as we know, Mike, as they do, they went after the doctors and referred them to their their registration bodies. They uh, threatened them with striking them off. They raided the laboratories that tested these vaccines. They they went to extraordinary lengths to discredit any notion that there might be uh, a, a, an anti-fertility vaccine program going on, and that is when the movie becomes extremely interesting. And that's when our cameras were called back in to film some extraordinary events that led to the reconciliation of this story. Who was right, who was wrong, and did the World Health Organization actually mislead millions of women worldwide into believing they were protecting their babies from tetanus when in fact they were being rendered infertile. I'm not going to spoil the end of the film, Mike, but that's what why people need to watch this. Well, I, I haven't seen the entire film either. I've only seen the first few minutes, but I, I do want to tell people it's going to be at infertilitymovie.org, correct? That's the URL? Absolutely. Infertilitymovie.org. Absolutely. Okay. And uh, I'm not sure which day we're going to put this out, but folks, it's going to be June 10th. 2022 and then thereafter you can go watch this film for free also we're being given permission to subsequently post the full movie on brighttown.com and so i'm going to do that as well and we'll be doing a write-up on the film but what i want to say andy uh, what the the story that you just related you know we have covered this editorially for several years on natural news uh the kenyan uh, the group that i know is the kenyan catholic bishops association uh, was involved in this, and I, I do recall, as you just said, they sent samples to multiple laboratories, and that they were able to confirm the presence of a uh, an infertility chemical. I I forgot the name of that chemical. Do you recall what what it was that they found? Absolutely, the key molecule was human chorionic gonadotrophin, 
It's a hormone, hormone that is produced by the, the fertilized ovum, the fertilized egg, and it leads to the stimulation of progesterone production, which sustains a healthy pregnancy. The vaccine was intended to induce an immune response against HCG, that wow. key molecule, and then that would have the effect of aborting a pregnancy that was existing or preventing future pregnancies. You know, that, as you're describing that, right, HCG, it's extraordinary because what people need to realize is that this is the realm of medicine weaponizing a woman's own body against her unborn child. I mean, turning her body into a biochemical weapon delivery system. That's what that is, what you just described. Would you agree or disagree with that statement? Absolutely. It is effectively inducing an autoimmune disease in that woman, an attack against her own, in this case, hormones. Now, to provide larger context in all of this, our viewers also need to understand that discussions of uh, depopulation in Africa have been going on for many, many decades. This is not something new. This, this actually fits a pattern. Uh, in fact, I've talked about this from time to time, uh, President Richard Nixon uh, and his science advisor talking about how they needed to spike the food exports to Africa from the United States with infertility chemicals. And that was written up by the New York Times in 1971. I think that science advisor's name is Dr. Lee Dubridge, if I'm remembering that correctly. But this is not new at all, is it? No, it's not. And this, in fact, the, the beginning of the development of this anti-fertility vaccine in New Delhi in India was in, 19, in the early 1970s. And by 1993, they developed a successful anti-fertility vaccine. Now, like, let's go, as a secular argument, you could go back and you could look at the uh, world population charts from 20 years ago and you could say, wow, this is extraordinary. This is, this, soon the world's population is going to exceed its ability to sustain uh, that population. And what, what do we do then? And so there was a scientific debate about the merits of population control, reducing numbers. There was then the debate, the derivative debate and actual enactment of research into ways of doing that, developing anti-fertility vaccines. But what was completely and utterly unacceptable from a medical standpoint was to do something to these women without fully informed consent. That in terms of, to me as a doctor, is absolutely unacceptable. There is no room in medicine for that. Not only that, Mike, the worst thing was that it was not just an absence of informed consent. It was a deception. We are going to tell you that this is in order to protect babies from neonatal tetanus, when in fact it's doing very much the opposite. That is absolutely unacceptable. Of course it is unacceptable, and yet it's also... I think a pattern that many people have witnessed through the last two plus years with COVID. So, of course, there's, there's a tremendous amount of evidence coming out that these so-called vaccines, the mRNA injections from COVID, are uh, killing, in the case of children, killing 300 plus children for every one child that they might save from an infection. So a 300 to 1 ratio of deaths to uh, prevention of deaths. Uh, that's also unacceptable, right, from, from any kind of risk versus benefit point of view, even if you believe the vaccine is working for the one child. But just as you said, the deception is the key. 
People were told that the vaccines are safe and effective. They were told that nobody's dying. And even today, uh, a football star died two days ago. A soccer star died. A baseball star. Soccer players are dropping over dead all across uh, the European Union, almost one every day, it seems. And we're told, oh, it's just, it's a coincidence. It's sudden death. So they're still deceiving us, are they not? They are, Mike, and it's astonishing, to, in particular in the context of fertility and pregnancy, there is, there's there been so many statements, including one from Fauci, that there is no effect, no adverse effect upon pregnancy or the fetus or fertility. That is said in the absence of any safety studies in humans whatsoever in this context, and is therefore a complete and utter lie. And that's a disgrace. I would say the, the silver lining, and you'll have noticed this, Mike, the silver lining of COVID has been that when I started in this work, this vaccine safety investigation 30 years ago, there were literally a handful of people worldwide who were prepared to talk about this issue. Now it is more than half the adult world population. That's right. I saw data the other day from the CDC that 72% of Americans are not compliant with CDC policy on COVID vaccination. They either didn't get the first shot, they didn't get the second shot, or they are refusing boosters. 72%. Those people would be classified by the mainstream media as anti-vaxxers. They're not. They have come to realize that they have been misled, they've been deceived, that people are falling ill and dying when they shouldn't have to. And it is all uh, at the behest of those profiteers in the pharmaceutical industry and people unelected officials like Tony Fauci, who are so deep and dirty into this that it's frightening. It, it is really frightening. And, and yet, as you mentioned, there are many prominent people who are coming out and have been speaking out against the insanity. Uh, yourself and, of course, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. with Children's Health Defense. And I should note that uh, chd.tv is, I believe, uh, offering the premiere of this film, correct, on June 10th? I, uh, Bobby uh, Kennedy was the executive producer on this film, and uh, it will premiere on CHDTV. Okay. All right. That's fantastic because, you know, um, political parties aside, this is not about political parties or affiliation. This is about whether you care about humanity at this point. And uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. cares about humanity, and he is fighting tooth and nail, as are you, Andy, uh, as am I and so many others out there who have joined in this fight to raise awareness. Uh, and, and yet you have the controlled establishment that is, has now escalated the censorship, escalated the tyranny. In California, they're trying to criminalize doctors who uh, question the official narrative or strip away their licenses, which, you know, these sorts of attacks... Uh, similar types of attacks have been leveled against you over the years. So, you know, you, you can probably speak to this, but what's happening to our system of medical tyranny where doctors are not even allowed to uh, exercise their own personal discretion and observation, patient to doctor, in person, in that room, to make their own decision about what is best for this person? Yes, medicine has changed beyond all recognition from you know, when I graduated in medicine in 1981, the art of medicine has gone, the patient-doctor interaction, which was essential, the listening to the patient's story has gone. And it's really moved so much more into pharmaceutical medicine. I, um, several things to say, Mike, and that is that, um, that people 
fear that we are in a very bad time and, and we and no doubt we are but we will prevail the human spirit is extraordinary as i say the majority of people now are rejecting policy if you saw bill gates on television the other day answering about this well, you know how do you think this went with this this covid vaccine campaign and he was a broken man he was a broken man now i've no doubt he'll bounce back and, and people will you know reinforce him in his position but it did not work out the way they wanted. They set out to frighten people. COVID, I mean, the, the, the Fauci's of this world, the, uh, the um, Peter Dashak's of this world set out deliberately and in stated terms to frighten people into submission, to do, to bend their will. And people did not do that. And now they failed. It's one of the worst mistakes they have ever made. Um, and it will reflect on all vaccine policy. The other thing to say is that, and you raise this issue, and that is the survival, the very existence of the human species. The story that we made is about a deliberate attempt to control fertility in millions of women worldwide, which you and I know, many people know, that fertility rates in both men and women are dropping dramatically for many unknown reasons. Sperm counts have plummeting. Uh, infertility in women in general is so much worse, particularly apparently in the face of the uh, the HPV vaccine, for example, and the COVID vaccine. So we have known causes of infertility deliberately by the hand of man and then all of these other causes. And we now have a situation where the natality, the birth rate in all countries is exceeded by the death rate. In other words, we are on an extinction curve. And a lot of that we cannot control because we do not know what the cause is because no one wants to investigate it. But my betting is that vaccines play, along with other environmental toxins, a very large part. This is extraordinary what, what you're saying. I'm really glad that you're getting right to the point. And that phrase that you just used, extinction curve, uh, that is absolutely critical. Uh, I was even I was pointing this out in a podcast the other day that the entire uh, existence and sustainability of the human race depends on sexual reproduction. So you have to have a mother and a father and you have to have recombination of DNA so that you have genetic variability and uh, so that you have a pool of, of a very broad spectrum of genetic diversity in order to be able to survive all of the different afflictions not only disease, but famine, environmental conditions, chemical exposure, all kinds of things. You need genetic diversity. But with this population reduction, you are not only losing genetic diversity, you're also inflicting transgenerational, infer you know, I, maybe that sounds crazy, but sometimes a mother can have a child, but that child will be infertile because of the chemical exposure of the mother, right? Because that mother was able to form eggs and her ovaries worked, but her offspring now are infertile and can never reproduce again. So That's absolutely right, Mike. Uh, just on that yes. point, before we, the, the human sexuality is determined very early in the womb and is reflected in the levels of testosterone. So the influence of testosterone upon sexual development and behavior. And in, in lower order animals, it's, at, it's after birth, very soon after birth, but in higher all around a species like man, then it, it is uh, in pregnancy. So, of course, uh, insults to the pregnant woman in the form of environmental toxins, such as mercury and flu vaccines or uh, spike protein, might well adversely impact the fertility or the reproductive capacity of the fetus. 
later in life. Absolutely. Yes, and we know from the biodistribution studies that the spike protein antigens uh, are circulated. Uh, well, I should say, even just from the mRNA injection, the 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 PEG capped uh, mRNA strands are circulated throughout the body, but they tend to coalesce on the ovaries as well as the spleen, the lungs, and certain other organs. But the ovaries are attacked, and uh, spermatogenesis is obviously attacked as well. So they're hitting both the males and the females, and we shouldn't be surprised. Go ahead, your thoughts. No, there was um, a very interesting clip towards the end of the movie, which brings this full circle to the first world and where we are with novel I hesitate to say vaccine approaches, novel genetic engineering approaches such as the COVID vaccine. But there was uh, Dr. Byron Bridal from a, you know, a viral a vaccinologist from Canada saying, uh, we made the assumption, we were wrong. We made the assumption that when we injected it, it would remain, this COVID vaccine would remain at the site of injection, just like all the childhood vaccines do. First mistake. Those studies have never been done. They haven't looked at the childhood vaccines to determine whether they remain at the site of injection or distribute throughout the body. So there was the first assumption. But he was he was on the right track nonetheless, saying we've made a terrible mistake because when those studies are now done in animals, it shows exactly as you say that the spike protein targets specific organs in the body, including the ovaries. So again, setting up the potential for an immune attack against your own tissues, an autoimmune infertility. Um, and you, it's so alarming that this is intended for 7 billion people worldwide without these studies ever having been done. That is absolutely unacceptable. Well, it, it, it brings up the obvious question, and, and perhaps you don't have enough information to answer this, but do you attribute this more to incompetence or to maliciousness? on the part of uh, those behind the COVID vaccines. I mean, surely they would have known. I mean, surely. How could they not have known about the biodistribution of this? Yes. It, someone once said, never substitute uh, conspiracy for incompetence. But in this case, one really has to wonder. You know, if you are deliberately rushing to market, getting, pushing emergency use authorization at the um cost of getting patients drugs which actually work that will cure them or prevent their disease. If you are doing that, if you know that you have no liability for death and damage caused by your vaccines, if you know that there is the potential for this, the biological potential for this vaccine to cause the harm we now know it causes, if you do all of these things in simply in order to make a profit, that is evil. That is fundamentally evil. You are violating your role as a human being by putting, even if it was not, we are going to set out to deliberately kill people out of, with my, you know, causing myocarditis. I think that, you know, I, that for some people they must have known. But once you have knowledge, once you know from your, your data, as Pfizer did, that this was a problem, Beyond that point of knowledge, it becomes deliberate. It becomes deliberate, unequivocally. And we, we see Pfizer begging the FDA now for approval of emergency use authorization for children under the age of five. I mean, 
Can you imagine that? And it's already been approved for six plus, which is also a group of people who have no risk of, of death following uh, COVID. COVID is, 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 is dissipating, it's disappearing, it's going away. And um, again, this is, can only be attributed to profiteering since we know the vaccine doesn't last. It doesn't last. So what's it going to do? Last them into old age where they then become susceptible to the more severe outcomes from COVID? No, it's not going to last. It's purely an exercise in profiteering. But it, it could also render those children infertile as they approach the age of, of typical reproduction as well. That's another effect that could be intentional. Yes, that is. Yes, it's a, it's a very, you know, having been in this for 30 years now, Mike, and you and I have talked about this many times, I've come to believe that all bets are on. Yeah. There are all kinds of very strange things going on out there. All bets are on. All right. We're, we're going to wrap this up here, this segment for Brighttown.tv, because we're out of time. But uh, this conversation continues in the extended interview on Brighttown.com. The website for this film is infertilitymovie.org, and you can also watch it on June 10th at chd.tv. Thank you for watching today. I'm Mike Adams with Andy Wakefield on Brighton.tv. Okay, uh, Andy Wakefield, welcome back to the extended interview here. We're just going to continue our conversa conversation. Let me play devil's advocate with you here as we talk about uh, global depopulation and infertility, because here's how I think the globalists justify this. They say that uh, food, uh, agricultural mechanization, cheap fuel, you know, cheap seeds, the ability to grow massive amounts of food has over the last century caused human populations to absolutely explode on the planet. And even, even since 1970, it's gone up by, I think, more than a billion, uh, a lot more than that. And the globalists are saying, in their view, that Earth has surpassed an ecological tipping point where... If we don't reduce the population, they say, then the whole planet dies, the ecosystem implodes, and everybody dies. And so in their minds, they are saying, well, they have to kill off a few billion to save the rest. So according, in the minds of these globalists, they're saving humanity. And the way to do that is to have a, an infertility program or a euthanasia program disguised as an immunization program. So what would you say to that? Yeah, I have no doubt that they've been talked into that that belief system. They've looked at those graphs. They've looked at the population growth. They've realized that, and these people have been referred to, or, or sorry, the people in, for example, Kenya, East Africa, in India, have been referred to by globalists, like Henry Kissinger, as useless eaters. You know, there is this perception of them as inferior which seems to me to be an essential ingredient if you're going to enact a program of deception and pop depopulation. You first have to see the people that you want to get rid of as subordinate, as imperfect, as flawed, as evil, or whatever you, however you like to characterize them. And we've seen this in history before. I don't need to dwell on that argument. But um, nature has a way of self-correcting. And there was a wonderful series by Attenborough. Um, I think his final series on what was happening to the planet. And it showed that, I think it was the sperm whale. It was a remarkable uh, series that showed the, the, the massive decline with whaling of the sperm whales. 
and then uh, to the point of near extinction. And then when they were left alone, the recovery was quite dramatic. They recovered so quickly. Nature has a way of dealing with these things. And nature, likewise, would have had a way of dealing with this issue of of overpopulation. Now, that may have been a very uncomfortable way of dealing it, but nature is self-correcting. And we are part of that process. Unfortunately, when you interpose the globalists in it, in there with their scientific agenda, it becomes a very different matter because we do not know what we're doing. And in very broad terms, Mike, but when, when someone was asked, they were working on the human genome project and they were asked, what have you learned? What's the most important thing that you've learned about the human genome project? about the value of the importance of the human genome. And he said that nature, that, that the environment is more important because they knew so little. They did believe that if you affected one gene, you could correct a disease. But what they didn't realize is that if you affected that one gene, it had a knock-on effect on 10, 20, 30 different genes and led to catastrophe. And so man dabbling experimentally in things like genetic manipulation and now uh, gain-of-function studies for making viruses more dangerous. The result is utterly catastrophic for mankind, and it has this effect of inevitably depopulation, but also destroying economies, making it so much worse, and then setting us on this extinction curve for which they have no answer. They have no answers. They have all of the, the apparatus, if you like, to limit fertility, to reduce population, but suddenly, when it all goes wrong, when we are on this extinction curve and they don't know what they've done or what the other causes for infertility are, environmental toxins that mothers are exposed to in pregnancy, declining sperm, whatever it may be, then suddenly we are in, we have created, the globalists have created a very, very dangerous situation for mankind. There was a, a, a recent a study in which scientists were using CRISPR technology for genetic modification of mice and trying to remove, I think, a gene that was associated with the synthesis of a hormone associated with aggressive behavior. And they thought that this would cause these mice to be more calm and to get along better. It had exactly the opposite effect. It made them uh, hyper-aggressive, like bullies, you know, crazy psycho mice. And that stunned these scientists. And that, that's been out in the media here in, in, over the last couple of weeks. It, it brings to mind what you just talked about. You know, when, when you're dabbling with genetics and you don't really know what, how, how is a being defined? How is a being developed? And, in fact, let me ask you. We go back to the Human Genome Project uh, back in the 1990s, which turned out, in my view, to be an utter failure at the original promise, which was they thought that if they if they sequenced all the genes, they would know like this gene controls you know where the arm attaches, right? And and this gene controls the the shape of the nose and and so on. And they didn't find there w there was not an index of everything that creates a human being in the genetic code. Yeah, I mean it's protein synthesis, but that doesn't define a being. It it can't define even you know behavioral impulses, nor how how an organ knows to grow and then stop growing how do, how does the skin repair itself how does the brain organize itself none of that is found in the human genome what what are your thoughts on that 
But and have there any been, been any benefits? I mean, I remember the discussion that we've got cystic fibrosis. This is a single gene defect. We can repair that gene or cut it out and replace it. Right. That hasn't happened. That has nothing, nothing. They've delivered on zero as far as I can see. Um, and so all of this promise of science, it's rather like, if you remember, Mike, the, the idea that we were going to, now that we understood the chemistry of the brain, or at least we thought, we could develop pharmaceutical agents that could affect that, that could influence it, that could treat every um, psychological, psychiatric manifestation of disease in human beings. No, we couldn't. That, again, has been an utter disaster. And I bring it to your attention because one of the knock-on effects of the drugs that have been derived from that kind of thinking, the SSRIs, the uh, you know the antidepressants, the behavior-modifying drugs, they worry me enormously because when I analyzed the data some years ago on mass shootings, uh, in schools in particular or elsewhere, then the common denominator was psychotropic medication, many yes. of which have this warning on them about suicidal and violent ideation. That's what they drive people to do. So um, is it biologically plausible? Absolutely. Has it been investigated? Absolutely not. Why? Because people don't want to do it. Why? Because scientists are beholden to the pharmaceutical industry that make these drugs. Will it ever get reported on TV as such? No. Why? Because the television networks are dependent on the pharmaceutical companies for their very survival, their way of life, their lifestyle. So, you know, we are, as scientists, we are unable to ask the questions that really need to be asked about what is causing these things. But you've hit upon something really important here, you know, with psychiatric medication of children, which has been going on for several decades here, and it is an atrocity, and yet the scope of that was limited to usually young males in in school who were deemed to have uh, attention problems or behavioral problem, pl- problems. Excuse me. But now you look at the scale of these attacks on humanity with the vaccines. Now it's everybody. And now they're not just altering your brain chemistry with a drug that could be stopped. You know, you, you can stop taking SSRIs and your brain will, over time begin to normalize its own uh, management or homeostasis of of, uh, chemical levels. However, with these vaccines, with at least some cells being genetically altered, we're talking about chromosomal editing by the mRNA fragments that enter the cell nuclei in some cases, not, not in every cell, but in some cells, that is a permanent alteration that cannot be reversed. And I've had people ask me, oh, how do you detox from taking the mRNA shot? And I, there is no detox. You, you've altered your genetic code to some extent, and you've also you've hijacked the protein synthesis of your cells, and you're churning out proteins now that are not human. And there is no detox from that that I'm aware of. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, people ask me that same question, and I have no answer. I simply do not know. I don't even know what we've done in other in order. You know, so how can we begin to undo what we've done in terms of toxicity? You're quite right. I mean, people have gone out and said there is absolutely no evidence that this RNA can integrate into the human DNA and, and cause problems. And then the Japanese came out with a study that showed that we have 
as you know, many, many retrovirus genetic elements within our genome that we that have inserted themselves over millions of years. Yes. And retroviruses have the ability to produce an enzyme, a reverse transcriptase that can turn RNA into DNA. So if you have that enzyme present to any extent in your cells and then an RNA virus analog or derivative gets in there, then it could potentially turn it into DNA and it could integrate into the human genome. So no, even on a biological level, it is it, it, to make that kind of statement is 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 just false. And and what you're describing there is a really key paradigm for us to understand if we're going to move forward in a way that is sustainable uh, in understanding science and medicine, which is that the human being is never isolated from the information in the environment. That's genetic information, viral particle information, just protein sequences that are not even living are, as you said, integrated into the human genome. Your, your genetic code right now, those of you watching, is partially created by integration with environmentally circulating viral particles. That is a, a well-known scientific fact. That's not, a, that's not a wild theory. So we are not separate which means we have to be very, very careful what we introduce into the environment around us and what we especially inject into our tissues that might be integrated. I mean, talk about playing mad scientists without having an understanding of even what we are. Yeah, no, no man is an island. You're right, Mike, and this is a fascinating discussion. Because I remember years ago, I, we, were, we were talking about, you know, these, these were the early days of the importance of the human microbiome. And it was perceived historically for reasonable reasons that um, microbes were the enemy. They should be eliminated. I mean, Pasteur said, you know, we, we can't be beholden to these things. We have to kill them. They are the enemy. Describe them as the enemy. And so antibiotics came along and they thought they could conquer the enemy. When then now we know uh, that bacteria are essential to our survival. Our gut is full of bacteria. One scientist said at a meeting the other day, we are nine tenths bacteria, one part human, yeah. uh, one tenth human. And, and uh, so we are not an island. We are we have this microbiome that wasn't even taken into account in the Human Genome Project. The importance of the gut microbiome with its massive amounts of DNA producing all kinds of proteins which are essential to our survival, to our health. So then, so we we need to treat them with the greatest of respect. Well, it, exactly, and but see, this also explains why the vaccine manufacturers talk about injections as being uh, installing an operating system, because now we're talking about the code, the underlying protein synthesis code, that defines at least the physical tissues of a human being and, and other beings, and how that let, let's call it the the exogenous biosphere. Okay, more than just us, but also what is outside of us when that gets hijacked by cyber warfare or we should call it bio cyber warfare, let's say. Right. So now there is a computer virus, so to speak, or a code virus that is being injected into this exogenous biosphere of genetic information that permeates in and out of the human species as a whole. That's what we're actually looking at right here. I mean, this is almost alien. It's, it's like an alien cyber attack on human genetic integrity. Wild stuff. <laughs> it's remarkable that we're all 
or many of us are still standing, actually. And that says a huge amount for the resilience of the human body. And I, like you, I do believe we have an extraordinary ability to heal ourselves if we take away all of this nonsense, if we just remove it and take the various pressures off our bodies that are making us ill and and we will recover, just like the sperm whale recovered when whaling stopped. You know, we will we will bounce back. We have an extraordinary capacity to do that. And we need to take these globalist scientists out of the equation because they're doing nothing but harm at the moment. Yeah, well said. Well said. Well, this has already been a fascinating conversation. And Andy, I I, I really admire your courage and, and all the work that you're doing. Um, do you want to... Lastly, how can people support your filmmaking efforts? Because I know you've got multiple projects in the hopper. How, how do people, can they, can they donate to your organization? How does that work? Very kindly to ask, Mike. We are in the middle of pre-production on a major motion picture at the moment, a narrative feature film. So a departure for me, having made four or five films, to moving in now to a full-length feature film, and that is a whistleblower story, an extraordinary story. Uh, it was co-written by Terry Rossio. Terry wrote uh, little-known films as Shrek, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Aladdin, uh, Godzilla versus King Kong. I mean, this is a man at the top of his game. So we, he and I wrote this movie together. We need help. It's not a big budget. It will be shot here in Austin. Uh, it is going to be a, an absolute game changer, though. And it has a massive audience worldwide. People can either donate or they can invest. And if they are interested in doing either of those things, please uh, get in touch with you, Mike, and, and, and then you can put them in touch with me if that's okay. Uh, that would be absolutely wonderful. This film must be made because what it will do is bring people across the bridge from the adult COVID vaccine exposures to the understanding, the realization that this has been happening in childhood vaccines since the very beginning. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, we might be harder to reach than you are, but we'll we'll put out the word if people want to donate or invest. And perhaps uh, maybe you could give me a link that we could add in later on. By the way, we are go we are going to be donating. I think something in the realm of twenty thousand dollars to your filmmaking efforts. That's a result of the Propaganda Exposed docuseries produced by uh, Ty and Charlene Bollinger. And we pledged 100% of our revenues to health freedom causes. And I think we're going to be receiving something around maybe $80,000. Uh, we're going to earmark roughly $20,000 for, for your efforts, and we're supporting a lot of other people. So that's, that's going to be happening here in about a month. We'll, uh, you know, we'll, of course, make an announcement about that so everybody can, can see. But we really support your efforts, Andy, and we thank God that you are here to help humanity through this very difficult time. You're doing extraordinary work. In fact, I think, I think you're doing far more important work now than you ever did in your medical uh, life before. Really, I, I think that there's a reason why you're here doing this right now. Well, thank you, Mike. I, you know, it, it's true to the extent that in the clinic you could help the child across the, the desk from you in making films you can educate millions, and, and that has clearly had an impact. Let me give you, um, if it's easier to contact us, then please go to 1986-1986theact.com and then you can send us, you can make contact with us. So okay, great. 1986theact.com. 
All right, we'll put that on screen for people. That's your previous film, 1986. Okay, and uh, one more time, folks, the, this new film, the infertility film, coming out June 10th on chd.tv. That stands for Children's Health Defense. That's uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s organization. And then also infertilitymovie.org. We'll also be posting the full film on brighton.com. And I believe, uh, uh, would it, is it okay for people to repost the film on their own channels as they wish? Absolutely, please. What we'd love to do is keep a, a record somehow of numbers of people watching the film. So if, if people are able to give us that information back, that would be wonderful. Okay. All right. Fantastic. We'll do that. Uh, thank you so much, Andy. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. I hope we get to do this again soon. Please keep in touch and let us know how we can help. Mike, I'm most grateful. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Take care, Andy. And uh, for those of you watching, feel free to repost this interview on your own channels or other platforms as well. And remember, uh, Brighton.com, I built Brighton so that we can have these uncensored talks like what you just heard. You know, not the dumbed-down drivel uh, on the mainstream media or whatever videos are allowed on YouTube. No, we're going to get to the root of the matter here on Brighton.com. So thank you for your support and continue to spread the word about Brighton and about this new film, infertilitymovie.org. Thank you for watching today. God bless you all. I'm Mike Adams. Take care. Survival Nutrition is our new free audiobook that you can download right now from survivalnutrition.com. In this nearly eight-hour audiobook, you will learn life-saving secrets of how to use food, nutrients, plant molecules, trace minerals, and chemical compounds to save your life, even in a total collapse scenario. I'm Mike Adams, the Health Ranger, and I'm the author of Survival Nutrition. I founded and run a multi-million dollar food science laboratory, and I'm the author of the best-selling science book, Food Forensics. I'm also a prepper, a patriot, and a survivalist. I can teach you how to survive what's coming by growing your own food, medicine, and antibiotics that can help keep you healthy and alive even during the worst of times. At survivalnutrition.com, you'll be able to instantly download the full free audiobook as MP3 files. Keep a copy of all these files on your local hard drive and print out the full guide just in case we lose the power grid. Survivalnutrition.com